Well, if you're new this evening, I want to welcome you. My name's Andy Steiger. I'm the young adults pastor here, and I have the privilege of starting us off uh, in this new year as we go into the Bible. And as we uh, head into the Bible, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what we're doing, where we're at, we have been in a new series called Jesus. And maybe one of the best ways to look at this new series is that it's kind of like Netflix. There's like seasons, okay? So we were just in season one in which we were looking at Jesus and we were looking at his birth. So season one was Jesus' birth. We are now moving into season two in which we're looking at Jesus' life. And then uh, pretty soon here, we're going to be moving into season three. Uh, in which we're going to be looking at his death. So you can kind of see how this works, that season one, we're looking at his birth, and that led us up to Christmas. Now we're looking at his life, and it's going to lead us up to Easter, in which we're going to end by looking at his death. And I'm, I'm actually really excited about doing this series. Um, a, we want to just be immersed in the life of Christ, but also, as we move into Easter, uh, the Good Friday service is going to be a young adults-led service, and it's going to be fantastic. The NY worship team is going to be playing. Daniel and I are going to be leading that service, and many of our young adults are going to be involved as we lead the church uh, in that and in communion, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. So keep that on your radar. Well, as we... Uh, go and and look tonight at the life of Christ, the thing that I want to look at is a specific passage in which the, um, in the, in the gospel of John, in which the disciple John is leading us into looking at the life of Jesus. And he moves quite rapidly from talking about Jesus being born and, and who he is as, as the word and, and moves quickly into Jesus's life and in his ministry. And in particular, we're going to be looking at the topic of Jesus's the Lamb of God. Now, before we do that, before we jump into the scripture, one of the things that um, John talks about, and not to confuse you, is we're going to be looking at John the Baptist. So that's not who wrote it. The disciple John wrote it, but we're going to be looking at John the Baptist, in which John gives his testimony. And, and, And this is how it begins, is John begins to testify about Jesus and his interactions with Christ. And and as I was just thinking about that, and I was just thinking about my own testimony, uh, and and, and your testimony, in what ways has your life pointed to Jesus? In what ways uh, is, is your life a testimony of the work of Jesus right here, right now? And for me, uh, I gotta tell you, uh, my my testimony is one of of really brokenness. As many of you know, coming from a family that was just broken, a very dysfunctional family, I remember I came to this moment in my life where I looked at my past and I said, listen, God, I've got a broken and messed up past, and I know that I am on a trajectory to repeat all that brokenness. And I remember just saying to God, listen, I've had enough of all that brokenness. And what I want to do, God, is I just want to trust you and I'm going to follow you. And I am praying that my future is better than my past. That if I follow you, you're going to lead me into something better than where my family has gone through. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. And I remember that day that I said, this is the day, God, I am going to trust you today. I'm going to follow you. Where will you lead me, Jesus? And God led me to Argentina, of all places. 
As many of you know, the very first thing that, that God led me into was going on a short-term missions trip to Argentina and backpacking the gospel into some of the most remote area called the Puna, where Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia meet. And just for weeks, going through the mountains, uh, sharing the gospel and telling people about my testimony. Now, at that time, my testimony wasn't a whole lot, right? It was a testimony of brokenness. It was a testimony of coming to Christ and saying, God, would you lead me into something better? But I remember going throughout the mountains, and I had this testimony that I gave out. It was, um, guys, that is me with hair, all right? Daniel, eat your heart out, baby, I know. And uh, sorry, ladies, I am taken, by the way. Um, (laughs) You laugh. Uh, But that's also, by the way, that's my dog, Bane, and that is my grad photo. So I am that dude who took a picture with his dog, and I was this close to being that dude who takes his picture with his dog and no shirt on. That close. (laughs) Didn't Didn't quite make it, but I thought about it. Uh, so that was my dog, and, and this actually, this photo is really meaningful to me, because my dog was like my best friend growing up. Uh, Bane would be my kind of security when my family was falling apart, and they were fighting, and, and things were just, just crumbling around me, and I would take Bane, and I'd put him on a leash, and he and I would go for walks, and, and it would be my time of just praying and saying, God, would you please help me? God, I, I, I want something different than, than what I've got going on in my, in my family. And so that's one of the reasons why I use this photo. And I went out in the mountains, and here I am giving this thing away. And, and in Spanish, it's, this just means crossing the gap or crossing the bridge. And this was me crossing this bridge of trusting God and saying, listen, God, I'm going uh, to go where you lead me, um, and, and I trust you. Now, Freddie's over here is going, dude, I, he's like the only one here that can read this. Uh, well, actually, no, Josue is here and a couple others. But, so some of you are able to read this, but this was my original testimony. You can, you can uh, pull that down. Um, but if you have your Bible, turn with me. I want to go and look at John's testimony. This is John the Baptist. We're in John chapter 1. And, and this is his testimony of what he experienced with Christ. Now, his testimony is interesting because, and this is important for you and I to remember, that as we come to this, this juncture, as we're looking at John chapter 1, you know, John the Baptist doesn't know what Jesus is all about. He, he has this idea of what Jesus is going to be all about, but he doesn't really know. And so his testimony is really one of trusting God and God's work through Jesus. Now notice what we read here. I'm in John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So they're coming with these religious people, right? And they're saying, John, who are you? Because you're kind of a weird dude. You're living out in the desert. You're eating bugs. And you're wearing bark and stuff. Like, it's like this guy, he would fit in today, right? Like, you'd be like, this guy is full on PNW, right? And they're like, you're kind of weird, John. Like, tell us, like, what, who are you? What are you doing? And, and, he, and it says in verse 20 here that he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah, he tells them. He, he's like, listen, you want to know who I am? First, I'll tell you who I'm not. I, I'm not the Messiah. Now, some of you might be like, you know, what, what does that mean, Messiah? Now, I've talked a lot about this. 
means the anointed one, means somebody who's coming for a specific task, like a king, uh, in particular as a Messiah, not just a king, but a, an anointed king to lead his people to freedom. This is going to be a huge issue as the Jewish people are under Roman rule, Roman occupation, and they want freedom. And so they're looking for this Messiah that's going to lead them. And John's saying, listen, I'm not that guy. Verse 21, they, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, they're asking him if he's Elijah because there was this idea at that time that Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet and was taken off to heaven, that he would be coming back or maybe he never even left and maybe he's just still around waiting for that moment where he's going to lead uh, the people into this moment where the Messiah will come and will lead them uh, to freedom. And he responds, I am not. Then they ask him, are you the prophet? And again, there's this prophet figure that you read in the Bible, that there's this prophet that will come again as this person who's going to lead the way for this Messiah. And he responds, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? This is weird, right? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And notice what John says here. Verse 23, John replied, in the words of Isaiah, and he gets us from Isaiah chapter 40, verse, 30, verse 3 to 5, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now, what John is saying is this. He's saying, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. He's saying, who I am is I am somebody who's coming and I am preparing the way for God to come, for God to bring his Messiah to save his people. And he's quoting scripture that references back to the Exodus, in which the Israelite people are enslaved in Egypt and they're asking and praying, God, would you, would you save us? And this is a theme throughout the Old Testament as the Israelite people are enslaved, they're captured, but God is faithful, rises up an anointed one like Moses that leads the people through the desert to freedom. And, and John's saying, listen, I'm that guy who's coming and preparing the way so that God will rise up an anointed one like Moses that will come and will lead us to freedom away from this Roman tyranny. And you could only imagine the sort of angst that they're feeling. For you and I, especially living here in Canada, it's really difficult for us to know what it's like to be controlled by an, a foreign power that has complete control over you. They can take anything you own, even your life, even your family. They will tax you. They will send you off into battle. They, they, they have complete control of you, and it's terrifying. And they, they are crying out to the Lord, would you save us? But you see, this is a, this is a cyclical, cyclical pattern that you find in the Old Testament where the, the Jewish nation will turn away from God and they'll begin to worship other things, they'll begin to worship themselves, and they become enslaved. They cry out for God to be faithful and to come and to save them, and then God comes and rescues them, and this then happens over again. They become complacent, they turn away from the Lord, they find themselves in slavery once again and start crying out to God, would you come and save us? And God comes and saves them. Now, I'm bringing all this up because 
If you want to understand the life of Jesus, if you want to appreciate the Gospels as you read your Bible, it's so important to understand this context because you and I can find ourselves just as confused as these priests and Levites going, John, who are you? And what are you doing? Because it's kind of weird that you're in the desert baptizing people. Have you ever thought about that? John's baptizing people, pre-Jesus. Like, what does that even mean? What, what kind of a baptism even is that? You know, and and how, how are we supposed to understand that? And you can begin to appreciate the, the priests and Levites are asking the same question. They're going, listen, you're baptizing people, but that's weird, John, because normally we will baptize a Jew, sorry, we'll baptize a Gentile that wants to become a Jew, but you're baptizing Jews. So, so what does that mean? Now, I'm gonna share what that means in a moment, but reading on, verse 24 here. Now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? To which John replies, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, when we read the Gospel of Luke and when we read the um, Acts, what we read is that Luke explains that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, picks us up in Acts, and he also says that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, a question for you that you and I need to think about, again, is what does that mean? And I bring this up, and I'm stressing this point because there's a lot of us that when we read the Bible, we tend to take things that we learned at the end of the story and bring it to the beginning of the story. And we need to remember, John the Baptist didn't know where this story was going. He was confused. In fact, there was a time in, uh, in Luke that we read that John sends his disciples out to Jesus and goes, Jesus, are you actually the Messiah? Because I'm kind of confused by what you're doing. You're not doing what I think you should be doing. And what John and what the Jews understood that Jesus should be doing is this. John's out in the desert baptizing Jews for this reason. He's calling them to repentance, and the word repentance means to change your mind. It means to turn away. It's, it means that, listen, you haven't been following God. You need to follow him. You need to get your life right with the Lord so that he'll do what? So that he'll send his Messiah to come and to rescue us from our enemy. John sees himself as preparing that way so the Messiah could come and so that a war could take place and that they would have victory through Jesus. This is the baptism that he's doing. He, he doesn't realize, though, that God has way more in store than saving them from the Romans. God has a much bigger battle in mind. He's seeking to save them from evil. But, but they don't quite see that yet. And this is an important aspect to keep in mind because it really highlights the power of the gospel. And this is what I mean. When, when you study Old Testament, sorry, when you study the Bible and you study first century history, the Bible is difficult to understand if you don't see Jesus as, um, as being as a man who lived, died, and lives again, who defeated death. 
And, and what I mean by that is this. The Jews hated the Romans. The Jews wanted to fight the Romans. And in fact, shortly after Jesus, the Jews do fight the Romans, and they lose terribly. So bad that they get taken all the, they fight the, the Romans, sorry, the Jews fight the Romans all the way up to the top of Mount Masada, and they hate the Romans so much that at the very end, when they're about to be captured, instead of being captured, they all committed suicide. Just to, just to help you to appreciate where we're at historically right now, in Israel, every graduating class in the military are marched to the top of Mount Masada, and they vow never to let Masada fall again, and that's their introduction into military service in Israel today. You could only imagine what it would have been like in first century Israel when they're under Roman occupation, their hatred for the Romans... And yet somehow you have to understand that you've got a group of Jews who go from hating the Romans to a very short time after Jesus' death to loving and embracing and sharing the gospel with Romans, even Roman soldiers. How do you, how do you understand that? Well, you start to realize that Jesus came for a whole lot more than a battle with the Romans. And this is what we begin to see. And this, I want to read one more section here of John's testimony of Jesus. And then I'm just going to highlight two things for you that I think that we need to understand from this. So in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John here continues to quote from Isaiah, and he's most likely referring to Isaiah 53, in which the Lamb of God is going to come, he's going to be a suffering servant, and he's going to fight. Now, you, you might be like, really? Now, just stick with me, and I'll show you what I mean here. Um, verse 30 now. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Now, check this. John knew who Jesus was. He didn't know that he was going to be the Messiah, and he explains this in a moment. Um, I did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel, like I was talking about. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. Again, I didn't know he was the Messiah, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's the one who's the Messiah. And then John's saying, listen, I didn't know it was Jesus, although he knew who he was, but when I saw the Spirit come down on him, then I knew he was the Messiah, to which he replies in verse 33, I have seen and I testify that he is God's chosen one. This is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who's come to lead us. Now, the verse that, that John is, again, referencing back to in Isaiah is Isaiah 42, in which we read, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. And this is what John's getting at. It is going to be Jesus who's going to bring justice to the nations. He's the one that's going to free us. One of the things that I love about the Bible is there's always this kind of surfacey level reading of that of, of you know of a passage, but then when you begin to appreciate the depth of what's God doing, what 
what God is doing, you begin to realize that there is just so much more. It is so, so much deeper as we begin to see that God isn't so concerned about the Romans. God is concerned about a far greater enemy, evil, sin, that which separates you and I from God. And here Jesus has come with laser focus on that target, a much bigger, much greater target. And as we think about that, and as we think about Jesus being the Lamb of God, I just have two ideas for you to to think about tonight, to wrestle with as we go into uh, 2019. And the first thing is this. When we think about Jesus being the Lamb of God, that should inform you and I, that should teach us about our value as human beings. Now, to to tease this out, uh, an important question to, to ask, and it's a question that we're really struggling with in our culture right now, is what is the value of a human being? What is the value of human life? What, what, is, what is human dignity? Now, this is something I've been thinking a lot about uh, because, uh, and by the way, this is really cool, uh, in my doctoral work that I've been doing, uh, I've been doing quite a bit of work on this. Well, this morning, uh, when I woke up and I checked my email, I got an email with an invitation to share on my doctoral work at Cambridge University in June, which is super cool. Uh, so in June, I'm going to be going and sharing on this topic of human dignity, uh, in particular, what that looks like in light of artificial intelligence and different aspects of technology that we're dealing with. And then God is like just so orchestrated, this so cool, because right after that, I'm heading to Switzerland and sharing at the World Congress on this topic of human dignity. But I gotta tell you, the more I go into human dignity and what it means to have value, uh, the more I love being a Christian. Because this is a topic that our culture, our secular culture is wrestling with because they're realizing that as they have eroded a Christian worldview foundation from our nations, They have at the same time eroded the foundation upon which dignity, particularly inherent dignity, rested upon. And when we talk about inherent dignity that our our world likes to champion and talk about the value, by the way, um, dignity is just another word for value. When we talk about the value of human life, we often champion this idea of it being inherent. And that word simply means this. You and I were born with dignity. No human being gave it to you. You came into the world with value. Now, how do you explain that outside of a worldview that has God in the picture? See, because if God or a person outside of you and I is not there to bestow that dignity, that value, where does it come from? Well, that's a big question. Now, the second question, though, that's important for us to wrestle with is just what is the depth of that value? Are we really valuable? Is our value greater than, say, a dog or a cat or a horse or this machine that I like to, you know, uh, text with? What, What exactly is my value? And when we look at Jesus being the Lamb of God, it gives us a clear and amazing picture of the value of human life that you will find nowhere else. And it's this. When we want to know the value of something, we need to know two things. We need to know who made it and how much they're willing to pay for it. And by the way, one of my favorite TV shows on Netflix right now is called uh, Fake or Fortune. It's a BBC program. Some of you old souls are like, yeah, it's so good. Uh, Or maybe I'm the only one. 
but what it is, is it's a show about paintings in which they'll investigate a painting to figure out who painted it, and then they take it to auction to find out how much it's worth. And you never know how much it's worth until you find out how much people are willing to pay for it. Something is very similar to that when we look at the value of human life. We need to ask, well, who created human life? And it points us to God created human life. You and I are not some sort of random chance. We are the purposeful creation of a holy God that deeply and profoundly loves you. In fact, loves you so much that God made you in his image, which is unbelievable. But, but in Christianity, the depth of your value is so much more than that. And we see that in the Lamb of God in that this picture of the Lamb of God that John is referring to, he doesn't appreciate just how deep this goes in that the Lamb of God was also understood as the, the sacrificial lamb in which, uh, in, in Leviticus, in particular with Old Testament uh, religious practice, that the sins of the nation would be imputed onto that lamb. That lamb would then be sacrificed and its blood would be sprinkled over the altar. Now, Hebrews tells us, listen, that was not able to actually forgive you of sins, but it was a foreshadowing of what would need to take place in Jesus Christ. And in particular, that lamb needed to be pure or spotless. And what we find in Jesus is that he was a pure, spotless lamb that died for you and I. And this, think about how profound this is. You, you will not find this in any other religion, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only that you're made by God in his image, but that God loves you so much that he demonstrated your value by becoming a baby, suffering with you and I in this life, and then gives his life for you. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He says, listen, there's nothing greater, there's no greater way of putting value on human life than your life. You can give millions of dollars for a painting, but the ultimate price you can pay for something is your own life. And Jesus said this. He said, listen, there's no greater gift than to lay down your life for your friend. And he looks at you and I and says, you're my friend. The God of the cosmos that created everything, including you and I, loves you and died for you. Your value is beyond compare. Your value is the son of God willing to come and live and die for you and I. That, that changes the way you see the, the gospel. I mean, this is truly good news because you begin to see that God is not some sort of scary, cosmic creator that I need to fear. He is my heavenly father that dearly loves me and gave his life through his son for me. You can come before God boldly knowing that you are deeply and profoundly loved. And tonight, my prayer for you, because I know that there are some of you here that you struggle with your value. You struggle through depression. You struggle with anxiety. You struggle to know, does my life really have any worth? And every year as we come and celebrate a new year and we go from 2018 to 2019, we always have this moment, right, where we look back and we look at all those people who took their lives in 2018. And, we, and it's just this moment where we think about just the depression and the brokenness of this world. And listen, as we go into 2019, I pray that you would just know that you are valuable. Your value is beyond compare, that God gave his life for you. He loves you. 
And I pray that it would encourage you to have boldness in 2019 and that it would strengthen and encourage you that you would know that whatever kind of broken past that you've come from, that doesn't need to be your future. That can remain in the past. And I gotta tell you, one of the things I love about my testimony is God's faithfulness and how my past has not been my future and I am continuing to follow Christ and I will continue to follow him and I love him dearly and I love what God continues to do in my life. That's not to say that I don't have difficult times, that's not to say that there aren't hardships, but I know this at the end of the day that I am deeply and profoundly loved by the creator of the universe and he's got everything under control. Changes the way you live. You can live with boldness. You are valuable. Quickly here, the second thing that it teaches us is that Jesus is incredibly valuable. Think about this. In order for him to be our sacrifice, he needed to be spotless. When John said, listen, this Jesus, he is so great that I'm not even worthy to untie his straps of his sandals. That was the job for a slave. Slaves untied people's sandals. That wasn't even something that a a disciple did. And John's saying, listen, I am so below you. I, I don't even be, I'm not even worthy to be your slave, Jesus. And you know what? There is some truth to that, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is far greater than you and I. He is God in the flesh, and it is only through him that you and I have salvation. It is only through him that you and I can find forgiveness through his sacrifice. This changes everything, by the way. You see, the baptism that John was doing, the baptism of repentance, that is a baptism of religion. And you see that very clearly in Luke. We don't have time to read it, but in Luke, John says, listen, you need to get baptized, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. You need to give away things. You need to go do that. You need to go do this, right? Because you need to be really good so that God will come back and will save us. And what you see in Jesus is God saying, listen, you can never be good enough, so I've come to you. My love is not contingent on you coming to me. I have come to you because my love isn't something you can earn. And this becomes not a baptism of repentance, but a baptism of the Spirit in that you and I are not a part of a religion in Christianity. We're part of a relationship. In that you and I are baptized into a community, a community with, with God in which God's spirit lives in us and a community with one another in which you and I are a part of the church. And I've got to tell you that that is a message that I will never stop preaching. You and I were created to love God and to love one another and we do so and we're inspired to do so because of his profound love for you and I. And and as I close, I just want to help you to understand how this kind of all fits together because it's quite cool. That means then that as Jesus has has called you and I, he he has called us to go and to, to love him and to love one another. And as you and I begin to do that, it begins to inform us of who we are. You see, one of the challenges that you and I have as as we begin to learn about how valuable we are is it's so easy for us to turn in on ourselves. Sorry, to turn in on ourselves and to make it all about us. This is a great book, by the way. It's called uh, Christianity, the True Humanism uh, by J.R. Packer. 
And he says this so, so well. He writes, man's lie is that our dignity forbids us to serve either God or our fellow humans. He's saying, listen, it can be possible for us to become so puffed up in our value, in our dignity, that we don't serve God or people, though it requires us to look for service from both. God, you can serve me, and and friends, you can serve me, but I'm not going to serve you. In other words, that our dignity justifies our egoism. God's truth is that our dignity is only realized as we love and serve God for himself and mankind for God's sake according to the two great commandments, which are love God, love people. Now, you guys hear me say that a lot, and the reason is because Jesus says it a lot. And then Packer goes on to say the alternative is to demean and dehumanize others by the sort of manipulative self-centeredness that rots the soul. The choice is ours. The choice is yours. What what will you do with the dignity that you have? Will you allow that to, to lead to some sort of inward focused egoism where everything is about you? Or will you humble yourself and in the depth of that love and that dignity and that value that God has for you, will you love him and will you love other people? See, the beauty of this is that the deeper you and I love God, the more and more it informs us of who we are. You see, you and I are made in the image of God. It means then that the greater my view of God, the greater my view of myself. My view of myself will only be as great as that which I worship. If you worship created things, that's as great as your value is. I could only imagine what God was thinking when the Israelites were making golden cows to worship, right? Do you think that lowly of yourself? You know, again, your view of God is the most important view that you and I have. It directly informs who we are. And ultimately, that is gonna lead to how you and I treat one another. In which, as Packer uh, thinks about this, talks about that, that ultimately, this idea of what we worship is informing us of ourselves. And he, he says it like this. He says, it is impossible to worship nothing. Let me say that again. It is impossible for you and I to worship nothing. You will worship something. And maybe tonight you just need to take a moment and ask in my life, what is it that I'm worshiping? What is it that I bow my knee to? We humans are worshiping creatures, and if we do not worship the God who made us, we shall inevitably worship someone or something, however far from being worthy of our worship he, she, or it may be. And you and I don't need to look far in our culture today to see all the sorts of things that people worship, that people bow their knee to. Many people bow their knee to things and possessions, Other people bow their knee to themselves or whatever celebrity it is that maybe you you idolize. And tonight, I just want to challenge you in two ways as we come to the communion table. One way that I want to challenge you is I want to challenge you to be baptized. John was talking about a baptism of repentance, and repentance is right. You and I need to have a change of mind where we put our attention back on the Lord 
But the baptism that we're called into is a baptism with Jesus Christ and that we identify with his death when we go under the water and in his life as we come out of that water. And I know that there are some of you here that you've been going to church and you've placed your trust in Jesus and you're following him, but you're not being obedient to him. Jesus has called you that if you wanna follow him, if you truly love him, then declare that. Be, be, um, Be baptized. Be uh, united into a community. Be a part of the church. And that uh, takes place when you and I publicly make that declaration. And we demonstrate that we're not ashamed of Christ and that we do love him and that we have placed our trust in him and we're following after him. And so some of you in 2019, you need to take that step of obedience and be baptized. And I would love to help you make that happen. Come talk with me. Come talk with Daniel. Come talk with one of your community group leaders. Let's, let's, let's do that. And now tonight as we come to the communion table, I just want to encourage you. You know, we celebrate communion every week, every time we do uh, NYA. And it can become a little repetitive if we're not careful. And so each time we try to focus on something a little bit different. And tonight as you come to the communion table, Listen, uh, and I'm just gonna invite the um, worship team to come up on stage. They're gonna lead us in worship. And as they begin to lead us in worship, it's an opportunity for you and I to reflect on the sacrifice that the Lamb of God has made for you and I. It's a time for you and I to reflect on our value. And that's particularly what I wanna draw your attention to tonight. As you come to the communion table, Would you be reflecting on the incredible value that you have in a God who profoundly loves you, that gave his life for you, which is symbolized in communion? That bread is representative of his body that was broken for you on the cross. And so we take this bread, and we do so as a family sharing a meal. And just so you know, that bread is gluten-free. And it's a way for you and I to come together as the church, as one family, as we share a meal remembering that Jesus died for us. His body was broken. And this juice that we, that we take, it's red in color, and it reminds us of his blood that was shed on the cross as, as he died for you and I, a death that you and I could not die, and he needed to die in our place because we are not great enough, but he is. And he truly is Wonderful, so much so that I'm not even fit to untie his shoes, but yet as I come to this table, it reminds me that although he is great and I am broken, in him I find my value in that he not only created me, created me in his image, but that he gave his life for us. So as we celebrate today, let this be a meal of celebration for those of us who placed our trust in Jesus that we would come and we would celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is truly beyond compare and profoundly loves you. Amen? Amen. And so as we uh, celebrate communion, one of the other things that you know that we do is we have time of prayer. And so we're gonna have people that are up here that are gonna pray with you. Uh, If you have anything going on in your life that you just need somebody uh, to pray with you over, uh, you know, come and pray with them. Another thing that you can do is there are cards here. There's some cards here, cards at this table, and cards right over here. These are prayer request cards. Maybe there's something going on in your life, and while we're worshiping, you just wanna come up and you just wanna write down a prayer request. Well, on the prayer card, just, just write that down, 
and we will, as a leadership team, we'll pray for you. Maybe there's a great praise item in your life that you just wanna celebrate. Come and write that down, and, and we will pray over that with you as well. It's an opportunity for us to meet with the Lord and to celebrate how wonderful he is. So would you stand with me as you and I go into a time of worship together, and we'll do so uh, by beginning with prayer. Lord God, as we come before you in this uh, act of communion, of community, a meal that is shared together as one church, one family, one body, we're reminded that we're united in you, the Lamb of God. And we are so thankful for the work that you have done and continue to do in our lives. And as we come to the table tonight, Lord, would you encourage us on in 2019? Would we press on knowing that we're profoundly and deeply loved? Lord, if there are those of us here tonight that we know that we've had a change of mind, that there is a turning away from what's distracted us and we know we need to put our attention back on you, I pray that as we come to the table, this would be a starting point for a new life a new testimony of trust in you as you are faithful and lead us on into a life of flourishing. So God, as we come to the table, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us in your power and to your glory. Amen.